Welcome to Career and Ruins, the podcast that puts the log in archaeology. What? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to Career and Ruins with me, Lawrence Shaw. And me, Derek Pittman. Oh, man, it's good to be back. It's good to it? be back. Oh, it's just a bit more normal at I've the moment. I've missed our little pod beef. <laughs> Although it was been, it's been super fun being out and about and uh, working with the Council for British and Archaeology. Oh, I know. I'm looking for... Council for British Archaeology. That one, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Council for British Archaeology. You'll get there, mate. <laughs> we haven't been talking about him solidly for the last three weeks. <laughs> oh, but it's, it was good to get out and about. Yeah. I'm looking forward to doing a few more podcasts on location over the years. Yeah, so. yeah, absolutely. And open to ideas, so if anyone's yeah. got suggestions, then ping them over. But in the meantime, we're back to normal. We've yeah. got a fantastic interview today with Sarah Perry. We do, Sarah Perry from MOLA coming up, and that uh, we'll introduce that in a little bit, mm-hmm. but a very, very interesting conversation and a genuinely interesting career trajectory, yeah. I think. Yeah, very much so. But you've been well otherwise? Yeah, I've been pretty good. Um, I've been exploring and introducing myself to the world of middle management, which is a, a steep and sometimes occasionally sometimes rewarding uh, <laughs> rewarding it's uh, alright none of them listen to your podcast so you <laughs> no, can exactly, say what you yeah, want I can say what I want about work <laughs> <laughs> hashtag be you prayed <laughs> no it's, I've been good um, I've had a bit of sinusitis so I've been out of action for the last few weeks um <laughs> So not not much new going on really, just just kind of getting getting through, plodding on. How about you? I'm all good. I'm all good. Um, I've had a great couple of weeks out with our friend and colleague Ashley Green. Oh yes. Um, where we've been using a magnetometry cart with about fifteen different volunteers in a massive field in the New Forest, and um, we've been mapping archaeological sites that are buried beneath the ground nice. using a gradiometer, and we found some great stuff from what we think to be a Jurotrigus settlement or no. Iron Age. Late Iron in Age settlement, yeah, That's quite which would be potentially the furthest southwest of a Jurotrigus tribe um, mm. to be found. <laughs> I'm just wondering if you, the listeners can hear you slurping on that. <laughs> on my <laughs> Christmas cider. <laughs> Christmas cider. <laughs> you start, you put, put me off my sword. I must admit, I thought Lawrence has had a bit of a monograph, mono, <laughs> monologue here. I'm, just, <laughs> I'm aware you're near the mic going glug. <laughs> on top of that, we found a lovely um, circular enclosure which is very similar in style and composition to that of a prehistoric enclosure we were excavating this summer. Oh, very nice. That's quite a distinct monument, isn't it? Yeah, perfectly round, about 15 metres in diameter ditch feature. Mm. Um, And the one that we've been excavating um, has got two phases of ditch uh, that's backfilled, um, and in the top fill of that ditch, they've actually dug out and put Bronze Age cremation wow. urns so this so monument it's older than the it's bronze, than the bronze age, age cremation age so um looking forward to the report on that which will mm. be coming out soon but in the meantime maybe only five kilometers west of that site we think we found an identical monument wow so that's exciting particularly for the new forest where the prehistoric period is quite poorly represented mm. so that's good um and otherwise just been looking at the use of things like the Internet of Things in archaeology. I'm not going to go into the whole monologue of um, how the Internet of Things might work or ha- does work. And if if you want to know how it works, Google it. But um, <laughs> it's effectively I've been working with a company that looks at these small, uh, discrete um, bits of hardware, which mm. then talk to a larger network and how we can use that to monitor sites, um, monitor people as, as they move through an area and um, and record information, uh, perhaps where mobile phone coverage isn't isn't quite up to scratch. And um, 
Yeah, some interesting things coming out of there from recording of movement of ponies to okay. a number of people that stop at an information board in an area where you wouldn't normally be able to get that information, um, where there's very low power supply, for example. Mm. So these sort of internet-enabled things, can they kind of reach areas that you wouldn't necessarily get to with your 4G on your Absolutely, phone? Absolutely, yeah. So, um, yeah, quite an interesting bit of technology. And I went on a very random tangent about how you might be able to uh, to record the impact of a large event so if you're imp- inviting lots of people to a party you send out these these devices as yeah. the party invitation and they have to bring it back um to get into the party and then so you just send them around the globe if you're that well connected mm. and then you see when they arrive the people's movement as they come to the party the people that don't come to the party and put it in the bin so these it. invites are they getting mapped their whole on their whole journey yeah that's right so you've got a starting point an ex- a, a, a finishing point and then a return point mm. or if it goes in the bin the landfill point where they oh, go wow. <laughs> so that could be I th- from an arc, uh, sort of assessment of sort of so the process yeah, of um, the anthropology of, yeah of, um, I thought it was really interesting impact. and then um only other, the other other bit of news, which is quite relevant to this one, is because we we chatted to her just during the event. Is I was made um, chair of the the um, computational applications and quantitative methods in archaeology. Wow, that's um, a mouthful. UK <laughs> <laughs> chapters or CAA UK. So what does being chair of the CAA involve? Uh, not a lot. Just other people <laughs> doing a lot more work for me now. <laughs> Tweeting <laughs> stuff. <laughs> no, um, no, it means working with a great team in the the um, shape of. Um, Cat Cooper and Victoria Donnelly, mm-hmm. and um, looking to organise yearly conferences and um, encouraging people to share their uses of technology and digital outputs and uh, quantitative methods to um, mm. understand, record, interpret, engage archaeological information. It's an interesting area because I, I must admit I've, I've come into the world of computational archaeological something, something, something <laughs> fairly recently. Um, and I, I've been to a couple of the CAA conferences and they're, they're always very nice and everyone there is is incredibly interesting. And it's it strikes me that it's in, increasingly elements of our subject are moving towards that kind of computational driven or at least computationally supported projects. So even sort of a, a more traditional style of project maybe going out and digging trenches and doing traditional excavation there are computational computational elements and resources that can add a whole suite of um, useful information to that Um, for example harry who was one of our guest hosts Mm. way back when and i'm hoping he'll be a roving field reporter at some (laughs) point over this summer um raving (laughs) raving field reporter he was um processing some of our aerial photography from the dig we did last summer Mm -hmm and um, making 3D models. And he's got a 3D model, a point cloud, um, derived from that 3D model from the very first week when we started excavating and the very last week just before we backfilled the trenches. So obviously very different, these two models, Mm -hmm. but spatially they exist in the same kind of spatial um, arena. So we're looking now at taking um, the two models, the two point clouds, essentially overlying them and looking at the difference to look at the volume of soil move to look at the changes in the site from when we started to when we finished Mm. so it's a very traditional process of excavation and recording but we've now got this computational dynamic that's helping us interpret it and understand the process in ways we we hadn't before so it's really useful to almost every part of the discipline that's it i mean it's such a broad church and i'm so excited to be working with this this group obviously i've been attending the conferences for years now but um that's how we met 
<laughs> in Oslo. That's correct, actually. But um, yeah, I, it's, it's great. I'm super excited to be working with my colleagues on the committee. And um, we're very excited to be linking up with um, Lancaster University for the next conference. Nice. Um, but it, otherwise, yeah, just the people that are involved are brilliant. And anyone that isn't currently involved, I would thoroughly encourage you to sign up to the next conference. So. It's actually quite prudent as well because it was the CAA UK conference that we managed to sit down at the end with Sarah Perry and Absolutely. have a good chat. And what was really nice about that, as as you've heard from podcasts in the past, it's only very occasionally Lawrence and I get to interview a person together. We tend to um, interview people when we can. It's very opportunistic. We're, we're still kind of um, finding our feet in that <laughs> respect. But to have the opportunity after the conference when everyone had left the room to, to sit down in the, the empty conference suite and have a good old chat was really nice. No, that's right. And so, so Sarah is um, recently just started at, as director of research and engagement at MOLA or Museum of London Archaeology. Archaeology. They dropped the S. Museum okay. of London Archaeology. Yeah, that's right. But um, so she, but formerly of, uh, um, she was a senior lecturer in cultural heritage management at the University of York. So it's somewhat of a slightly different step forwards in her yeah. career and often you see people moving from commercial and going into academia but Sarah's decided she can make a better change a better influence yeah step in a, a different direction and mm. um, she touches on it and it's quite interesting to, to hear her take on that yeah but she's absolutely fantastic I think we should just jump into the interview yeah, now let's have a listen <laughs> Sarah, welcome to Career in Ruins. Thank, Thank you for joining us today. Um, and we're actually doing a bit of a, a practice on the three-way interview as well. So Derek, yep, I'm well. here too. Hello, everyone. Um, and you've both been at the CAA, Computer Applications That's for an Archaeology right, Conference so. today. I think attendance on my part is loose. I turned up for the last five <laughs> minutes. <laughs> sadly working all day. But it seemed interesting a little yeah, bit, I thought. You made an impressive entrance in the last in the last. <laughs> well, when I saw the door, I thought, ah, I can just sneak in at the back. Oh, no, it's yeah. behind the speaker. <laughs> Any questions? <laughs> my head is excited. <laughs> anyway, we should progress. Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Um, I wonder if we could start off by you just introducing your background and how you got to the point you are in your career today, what it is you do, and what you specialise in, and yeah. Okay, lots of questions. Um, <laughs> so my speciality is in how we present the past uh, to different audiences and how we produce data that enables us to tell stories about um, the past to different audiences. So some people, I think, label that as cultural heritage management or cult heritage interpretation. But I was trained as an, a field archaeologist, so I would say that I'm an archaeologist. Uh, I have a, quite a windy <laughs> career trajectory um, because I didn't really get introduced to archaeology until quite late when I was in a high school class in Canada. <laughs> um, and we did a... a a ridiculous activity where they gave us a box that was filled with sand and you had to excavate. Excellent. Dinosaur bones? <laughs> <laughs> no, pottery shirts. And then you had to reconstruct the pot and uh, paint it and then tell a whole story associated with it. And this is the moment where I understood that you could actually have a career mm. in doing this. But and I went off to do an um, under, undergraduate degree at Simon Fraser uh, University. Uh, in Canada and then I dropped out uh, 
-hmm. almost right away because I just didn't adjust well to university. And then it, it took me a long time to get back into um, archaeology. I went into computer science and hence now have an interest in digital practices, but I didn't fare well in the computer science <laughs> <laughs> program. Anyways, to make this long story shorter, I am... Um, I found my way back into anthropology in you know, at University of Victoria in Canada and did some field projects on the uh, northwest coast okay. of uh, Canada and then came to the UK to do my PhD and then I got a job at the University of York, and which is where I'm based right now, but I'm about to move into a new role. So uh, We'll come back to that new role in a second, yes. but your PhD, what was that, what was that looking at? Well, I had a different vision of what it was going to be when I started. <laughs> That's good to know for our listeners. <laughs> and, yeah. and one funding for it, and then it turned into something completely different. But And what it turned into was that my uh, supervisor, um, Professor Stephanie Moser, who's an amazing person, um, had said, well, you've come to the UK now and you need to take advantage of some of the incredible archives that are out there related to... Um, the history of the discipline, because I'm interested in how we use media to communicate uh, about the past. Uh, and she had encouraged me to go seek out these different archives related to the history of the discipline. And so that's what I did. I scoured all of the these departmental archives and I ended up focusing my PhD on the development of the Institute of Archaeology, now at, now at UCL, but at the time it was based at University of London. Uh, and how they used different types of media to kind of build their profile, build their research profile, but also build their profile as an institution um, that was well known amongst the public and amongst other um, academics. Um, yeah, and then that kind of led into what I'm doing now. <laughs> awesome, and so now you're at MOLA in London. What's your job title there? So I'm about to move there. I start on the 1st of November. Um, I'm about to move over to MOLA as Director of Research and Engagement. So I will be working with the teams that do their long-term engagement initiatives like Citizen or Thames mm -hmm. Discovery. Okay. Um, the teams that do all post-ex uh, and then also Headlands Archaeology is part of uh, MOLA as well and they fall under the the group that I'll be collaborating with, and uh, we, uh, well, per the job title, <laughs> um, we will be looking at those, um, enhancing their research and engagement programs, doing uh, work around tr uh, training across the uh, sector in the UK, um, maybe uh, thinking about how we can better embed uh, interpretative exercises earlier on in the process of excavation so like when you're mm. out in the field doing whatever it is that you're doing the interpretative work can start a lot earlier and awesome. um, so that that's the vision we'll see how it, how it all unfolds awesome. <laughs> Sounds amazing. That's a really interesting <laughs> career step in a way so you went from a lectureship at york yeah. to a commercial unit yeah what was the driving force behind the move was it a change of direction, a change of scene, or just interesting new challenges? Yeah. <laughs> I've had an amazing experience at, at York and for what I do there. Um, for my specialty, I don't think that there's a, a better place that I could be, mm. both in terms of the digital skills that they 
uh, offer and the kind of critical digital lens that they encourage, but, and also for their heritage programs. Um, but because I'm interested in how we change uh, the structure of archaeology, so mm. how you enable genuine disciplinary change, I know that I can't achieve that in academia. Yeah, yeah. Um, even if I'm doing a lot, I changed my contract last year so I could do part-time um, consultancy work, but uh. even in that part-time role, I, it wasn't possible to get enough space or even, and to get enough buy-in and belief that, um, that, I, that this can happen yeah, in yeah. that part-time role. So it's to be able to better achieve that kind of structural or systemic change. Mm, so you wanted to be in a position where you could drive for change rather than kind of see it from the outside or, yeah. or comment on it. That's mm, really interesting. Exactly. Mm. Oh, fantastic. Well, that's very different to people we've had so far. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs>
that it uses for pay reach. Does it travel? Not quite a time machine. It travels on roads. On roads, not through time. Through time. (laughs) (laughs) Only uh, sort of metaphysically. (laughs) (laughs) But it's 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 worth remembering, and it's it's kind of the state of the discipline a, a bit today, which I think is quite positive. If you were to look at a cross section of commercial archaeological units, maybe in the early 90s, when many of them became the entities. Um, that they are, they were focused very much on rescue archaeology, protecting heritage, whereas their remit, I think, as part of that protection and as part of that rescue, has expanded to outreach and impacting the public and sharing archaeology. Well, even to interpretation, which is exactly Sarah's bag, but if you think mm. about a couple of weeks back when we were at the Mithraeum, yes, and yeah. meeting, chatting to Sophie Jackson, who um, had, had been leading on that interpretive approach to... Yeah, and that was a MOLA project yeah, as well. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So... Um, um, yeah, yeah, you're very right to massively, highlight that. Yeah, massively interesting. Um, should we jump back into the interview? Yeah, let's do that. So I don't know if you've, you've heard any of the episodes so far, but we have three set questions that we tend to ask uh, participants. Give them to me. <laughs> <laughs> so the first one is, uh, it's, a, it's to do with a piece of work that you're particularly proud of. Um, so over, the, over your experience over the last few years, is there a bit of work that you've done that you, you've reflected on and you think, yeah, I'm, that, that was brilliant. <laughs> well, that's not as oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a window into your mind. I think. Yeah, that was brilliant. You can't tell I've just come from a job interview. <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah, my, my naturally kind of self-critical nature means that I've never come out at the end thinking it was brilliant, but thinking about all the things that could go differently if I was to start it again. Well, come on to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, there are quite a, quite a few primarily because I, get, I enjoy working in a collaborative way and so all the projects that I have been on I involved I have a lot of students working um, with me and they're usually in international teams so um, one that I'll say right now because we're just about to finish it is this emotive project okay. um, it's a European Commission funded mm-hmm. um, international project uh, that's split across, you know, I think six different um, sites and Emotive is focused on uh, developing tools for us as uh, practitioners and also for um, the public to engage more emotionally with the archaeological record, especially sites of the very distant past where it's much more challenging mm. to kind of create that that affective affect with an a <laughs> 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 that, that kind of emotional connection because it's you know it doesn't relate to you it's so distant in time we have such fragmentary evidence that it's mm. natural for most archaeologists to not want to speculate um too much uh, so that project is about to come uh I guess it te- technically it comes to an end, um, but we've been developing all of these different use cases or case studies associated with it, including a VR experience for multiple users to be participant in at the same time, a chat bot. Uh, we have a school or an educational um, kit. Uh, we have an on-site experience at the site of Chatelhuyuk and my colleagues in um, Glasgow have been working on um, various digital experiences for the Hunterian Museum up there. So uh, that, that wasn't a very short answer, but it's no, that one that I'm very yeah. proud of. <laughs> that sounds like it's quite a large team. I mean, yeah. How many people are involved in that? 
Well, there's probably, I mean, the, uh, like on the official kind of management committee, there's probably somewhere between 15 and 20. Wow. But in terms of the bigger team of volunteers and so forth, I mean, there's there's at least 40 people that have been involved over the last um, few mm. years. And uh, yeah, and as you might imagine, that comes with many many challenges, but also the best work comes from that, those kinds of collaborative scenarios where some are uh, interaction designers, some are image-based image rendering experts, and some are archaeologists, mm. others are curators, and so it's in that kind of ten those tensions where I think the most interesting things come, come about. So it's been really wonderful. Yeah. Thanks. That sounds really good. Mm. Next question. Go on, mate. I made an awkward pause there, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> you looked at me as if I was going to follow up. I, remember, <laughs> I, <laughs> I was busily thinking of follow-up questions there. Oh, carry okay. No, 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 no. Um, I was going to ask a very cheeky question. Go on. Come on. Of, of <laughs> so within the, the project you've just finished, and it's, this may well be a rude question, but... Uh, we can always cut it out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm I mean, I, worried. I, I realise when I ask something like this that you could kind of think, oh, I don't want to tell you that because I'm going to write that as a grant application no, next. No. But I'm just thinking the next step for a project like that. Where does it go from where you've got it to? So you've obviously, you've achieved an awful lot to date and you're, as Lawrence said, you're incredibly proud of it and it's wonderful. Um, but the next, where, where does it then go? Is there a life beyond you or do you carry on working there and building it into new projects and new things? Yeah, so there's, there are a few directions that I hope that it will um, go in. Uh, one is that that research has really made it clear how important it is that the things that we're developing for different audiences are collaborative in nature. So it's not an individual experience. So you're just going to the museum and like looking at some panels on the wall, but you're developing it so that, you know, the, the three of us go out and are participating in it together and that we create um, the possibility for us to have genuine conversations where mm. we debate and talk through the issues um, together. And it's actually quite um, rare to see these experiences developed where conversation and dialogue are the main, mm. the main goal of it, not just presenting some stuff on it yeah. in, in whatever way. So yeah, archaeologists, actually. I think we have a bias towards doing everything in a visual medium. Mm. <laughs> Um, and yet all of the research suggests that it's only really in dialogue that people can come to more complex mm. understandings of, of the past or whatever it might be. So that, di that dialogue-focused, mm. group-based work is something that we've only really scratched the yeah. surface of, I think. That, that's one. Um, and I think the other thing is, is the evaluation side of it, because I think a lot of people are struggling with how do you evaluate um, this work and mm. what and how do you also feed the evaluation back to archaeologists themselves? So some of the research that we've been doing in Turkey um, at Çatalhöyük has been looking at um, the difference between how archaeologists are interpreting a particular subject matter and how the public who are coming into the site are all are interpreting that and you know in maybe not that much of a surprise but the public come in with a re really rich um set of ideas about mm. what might have happened in the past and are really keen to talk through the ideas mm. um and whereas <laughs> the archaeological team often cut off those conversations right away so the whole dialogical thing doesn't work <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so it's about because, training the archaeologists yeah. as much so, as uh, the um, public. being able to properly present the what the results are of this to show just how detrimental it is to stop those conversations yeah. um, is something that will be the next line of, 
That's really that's interesting. That's really interesting. Um, so that's the kind of the, the pride question out of the way, and we, <laughs> in very in very biblical terms, we move on to envy next. Um, and uh, you've, uh, you've obviously seven. Yeah, we'll be here all night. Um, so you've obviously, I mean, Chatelhoek is one of those projects that I think a lot of people would love to have worked on at any one time. So you've obviously got a, a good benchmark to start this from. But looking around to colleagues, friends even people, archaeologists throughout history, is there a project you kind of think, God, I'd love to be involved in that or have been involved in that and sort of see that happening or play a part in it? It's a it's an interesting question because I, oh, I always look at it from the perspective of the person that I would want to work with, not mm. necessarily because, because maybe the nature of my specialty means that you, I could work at any site yeah. of any time period with whoever it is and it's not that big a deal. So. It's always the people that I'm interested in. And somebody who I'm a huge fan of is Catherine Cook, who's now at University of Montreal mm -hmm. um, in Canada. And her work, um, which has, a, I mean, she came up through a kind of mortuary archaeology um, background and working in cemeteries and other um, such historical spaces. Um, but she also is a maker, so she does a lot of really exciting um, digital digital development work okay. and teaching her students and on her projects um, helping her colleagues to kind of um, uh, build digital technologies that can help you think critically about what you're doing as a researcher and also how you're presenting it um, to others so it, I would love to be able to work with Catherine that I don't. I don't know that that answers your question. No, very no, that's well, a great. Right? I, don't, I think that's <laughs> one that's, of the better answers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's it. Thank you to the whole thing, <laughs> series. But, <laughs> Thank you. It's nice. It's nice to send people to specific sites, but also another nice thing about the podcast is to send people to other people. Yeah. yeah. Get people googling. Get people investigating. So that's actually a really nice alternative answer. I yeah, think, definitely. To the, the scheme. Um, so our final question that we ask participants which might be a bit of a curveball. I'm not sure how well this will work, but I've got a few thoughts of where you might go with it. Okay, yes. <laughs> um, I mean, ask for your help. <laughs> Derek, Derek and I have um, made a working time machine, and um, we, we don't let anyone have a go, but anyone that participates yes. on the podcast gets a free awesome. return ticket. And there's no restrictions around time or space, so um, you'll leave in a second. It's and a pretty liberal time after. machine, yeah. Uh, <laughs> we, we have a few rules around influencing the past, but other than that, um, it, it's fairly free reign. Yeah. Um, where and when would you like us to send you to? <laughs> Am I allowed to hack into your machine and turn it into a future? Uh, a yeah. future oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Future works. I would really, um, I would really love to be able to travel into the future, and in part because I've been quite inspired by this project. This has been on my mind a lot, so hence why I have an easy answer to this. Um, <laughs> There's a project called Heritage Futures that um, is based across multiple universities and um, a couple of scholars, again, people that I really admire, like Sarah May and Harold Fredheim, uh, and quite a few others, Cornelius Holtorf, etc., um, have been working on this and doing research into how it is that we, we as practitioners conceive of the future. We spend a lot of time, you know, working on the past and we often have all of these um, uh, slogans that are like working on the past to save the future or like you know <laughs> preserving this for the future generations mm -hmm. and so forth and they did this incredible survey uh, that was published a couple of years ago where they asked um, different practitioners well what what does the future look like then for your site 
And mm. almost everyone said, well, it looks the same as today. And then when they started to unte like tease that out, they, they said, okay, well, let's go back like 10 years. What did your site look like 10 years ago? And they teased that out and it was like so much change had happened. And then they could like go in these minute details about like this happened and then that happened. And like there was this environmental thing and then the, I don't know, the bureaucratic thing. And, but then, so then again, it was like, well, what's gonna happen in the future? And still there was this kind of blank, <laughs> No, no offense, but like, and then I thought about it and I was like, well, what does the, what does the future of Chattelhook or whatever site that I've been at look like? Um, and those kind of future ability to kind of think through and plan for different future prospects, I think is an interesting thing. So I guess my answer to this is I would like to be able to time travel to the future in relation to one of the sites that I have been working at in order to see what, what exactly has happened there, both in terms of the archaeology, mm -hmm. but also the research teams, the public, the communities that are, that are around and sustained by mm -hmm. the sites, etc. So. That's good. I, that's a really good answer. And I, I was thinking, as, going, as you were saying it, about how depressing it could be. So, Derek and I work on a site in Greece. And, yeah, uh, so I was thinking about uh, it. the 1980s uh, illegal quarry excavation that went into the uh, side of the hill there. And I'm just thinking if we went out to our site in Greece yeah, and it was what, just a what, flat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just a new town built on top of it. I guess it's like all that. perspective, isn't it? Because if you did that, and but you see that around it, there's like a thriving community that didn't exist before. Yeah. I mean, I, who knows? Who knows? It could yeah. be a barren wasteland. The right way you're going. <laughs> I, I kind of like to think on our site, after all the effort we're about to put in, putting up new boards and displays and sort of analog AR type things that in 200 years we'll go there and there'll be a celebration. It'll be the, the modern day Pompeii. I yeah. think people will still be doing illegal clay people and shooting. I think, I think yeah. they probably will, yeah. Hopefully uh, having fun. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think if we had anyone go into the future yet. No, we've, the, we've had someone go back to like the start, the end of the dinosaurs. Oh, and the rise of the um, mammals. mammals. Yeah, yeah that's the word. <laughs> 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 Reaching around. Not to be confused with the men on middle-aged men on with in like That's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, that, yeah, going forward to the new ones. I think that's a really, mm. really good addition. So Thanks. if you went, if you went far enough forwards, presumably you'd find future archaeologists looking back at the remains of today and mm -hmm. trying to interpret what we were doing and, and trying to make sense of some of this material culture we've got all around us. Is there anything you'd kind of seed to them to not necessarily trick them, but um, give them a different perspective <laughs> on the present day? Oh, good question. I don't know. I don't know how to answer that. I was trying <laughs> to think of them because the, one of the things Sarah May has come to teach in some of my um, modules at York, and she does this activity with a set of cards that um, her and Sefran Penrose, maybe alongside other members of their team, have built. And they are future thinking cards. So they will give you, you, you would usually choose a site, like we're gonna, we're gonna focus on star car or something like this. And, and then you, the, they're kind of thematic cards. And we did do this with the students where they play this game. And so the card then will say star car in a hundred thousand years from now, <laughs> you know, where, where there's been this kind of external intervention and a few other, a few other things. And it really, it's once you get past like 50 years from now, <laughs> It becomes really challenging, and their and their work um, has also been looking at sites like nuclear sites, where they have to do future planning and basically put forward markers in order to enable 
people in a hundred thousand years time or whoever it is that's here in a <laughs> hundred thousand years time the uh, the some kind of symbol that suggests you're about to dig into this uh, yeah, you know yeah. nuclear uh -huh. that's really so there's some interesting, um, Rosemary Joyce is somebody else who's been doing this kind of work. And so I feel like we need to recruit one of them here because they might be able to provide yeah, you a much better answer to this question than <laughs> like I can. Like a future podcast yeah. participant. Yeah. Yeah. I think so, yeah. yeah we'll, we'll keep the list rolling for series two. Yeah. Come on. Uh, Sarah, thank you so much for your time oh, yeah. you. this afternoon. I suppose we better go and enjoy some VR yeah. experience. We're heading today. to a virtual reality arcade now, aren't we? Yeah. Can't wait. It's uh, great fun. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much. Right, thank thank you. you. Now then, going to the future, is that allowed? Well, yeah, I suppose that's a time I'm, machine. What, we've, I'm we've, furious. I've never thought of this. I know, I know. <laughs> Just, I, I'm going to let it fly, but it's yeah, I'm furious. Yeah. I'm so obsessed with going back. I know. <laughs> we could take a note out of Back to the Future and go and get some sporting events from yeah. the years down the line. And, oh, and, oh, yeah, oh. a really cool baseball cap that's multiple colours. and oh, oh, Curses, oh. flying cars and whatnot. Yeah, well oh. played, Sarah, well played. Oh, it's interesting, though, and it, it does make you think about the future and the future of archaeology and actually where would you go well i'm gonna i'm gonna be waving my flags of my uh, current employer though but <laughs> i'd be right. really interested to go and see how national parks fare in the future um because m more recently there's been a number of things that have come out in the news or from the government um the times i think did a piece about national parks where nature goes to die <laughs> oh, <laughs> and um, <laughs> and um, the glover review about the role of national parks and aombs in uh, in the uk or in in england at least um came out and um it talks about the spectacular natural beauty and none of it's natural what are you talking about yeah it's beautiful don't get me wrong but it's all completely um architecturalized by human footprints and uh, been shaped and modeled and uh, um the special habitats are there because there are ponies there because william the conqueror made it a special hunting ground wait 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 are you trying to tell me that the natural landscape as we see it around us in the UK today is a product of thousands of years of human intervention? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> this, this feels like a personal bugbear. <laughs> yeah, somewhat. But, <laughs> uh, at risk of uh, going on a rant, I'll try and take myself off that tangent. But, but I'd love to see if national parks survive as the entities that they're perceived to be today mm. or whether... whether um, visitor numbers have had a massive detrimental yeah, impact. Yeah. But also, um, if, as I predict, <laughs> I mean, it's all the doom and gloom that we expect in the future, um, how national parks fare, whether they, whether they become a resource again and a special mm. place, or whether um, they stay protected, or whether anyone gives a monkeys yeah. when they're currently uh, sort of up to our waists in um, water in Bournemouth. Oh, the, the doom and gloom post-apocalyptic future that yeah. we're all yeah. fearing. Yeah. It is, I mean, uh, there's, there's a sort of perverse part of me that would kind of like to see see just the shape of the world what what does a post donald trump boris johnson brexit future look like mm. is it the kind of desolate wasteland post-apocalyptic landscape we're sort of imagining it will be or 
the optimist in me kind of thinks maybe maybe we're on the cusp of something. Maybe with um, temperatures getting hotter, climate change getting more out of control, industry being more of a struggle to rein in, perhaps we're on the brink of... Maybe I'm hoping, this is probably wishful thinking, <laughs> that we're on the hope of some sort of global innovation that helps us yeah. take a big step forward. And if you look at the past, taking the past as an analogue for the present, there are, there are times when a significant revolution has taken place. The Industrial Revolution mm. is one, the uh, Agricultural Revolution is another, where human society, human culture, humanity have had a generally, negative impact have on had the a negative <laughs> impact on the world. Or, to flip it on its other side, have developed to overcome or <laughs> innovated to overcome issues. I mean, the Industrial Revolution is an example. If um, if it hadn't happened, I suspect global food supplies would have disappeared by now without industrialised farming and mm. things like that and the rate of population growth. So in a way, we've we've human human beings have had a bit of a habit of really, really messing things up mm. and then finding a way of overcoming it, which isn't the Probably isn't the best way. So there are things that <laughs> yeah. aren't human beings. Pushing it forwards, kicking the can down I'm going to find out when you're going to go, and then I'm going to go before you and just leave a note on the floor. And uh, whatever the results, I'm not going to tell you, but I'll either say you were right or unlucky you were. Yeah, I sort of suspect I'll step out of that time machine in a thousand years' time and just see a blank mm. War of the World style <laughs> future. But Sarah's use is more productive and useful and oh, slightly more, more upbeat, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. That, that took a bit of a turn. I'll blame the cider. <laughs> but um, this said, so I always think as well, think, so it's all great thinking about the interpretation of sight and that's a great mm. use of the, the, the time machine, but if... Well, at whatever point we pop our clogs, I always think, I don't know, this might be weird, you know, I might be on my own here, but I always think about how <laughs> I on. might um, mess with future archaeologists. Oh, yeah. Have you ever thought about that? A, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know if you've got any thoughts on it, but it, were I to be buried um, at any point between now and whatever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, the future. <laughs> um I'm totally going to have like a fake robotic arm attached to my okay, arm. Okay, yeah. A, a big crown. Yeah. Um, multiple gold rings with like oh, yeah. precious gems bling, and things like, like that. Maybe and a then microchip. A microchip. Oh. Oh, something from the Internet of Things, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, And then like a piece of plastic, a plaque made out of plastic mm. so it doesn't degrade. And just random symbols drawn on it in so a, a maybe three lines. Oh. Like, and so it's a cipher, but it means nothing. So you're sort of creating your own Da Vinci code. Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> and it's, it's comparable almost to um, Rongo Rongo writing on Easter Island. Wait, wait, wait. Have you been to Easter Island? <laughs> Did I not? Have I not told you I've been to Easter Island? Um, these, this is a, a tablet that was found in some houses on um, a, a Rongo? Um, this big volcano. And... Um, a series of different symbols from bird men to birds and it looks like writing or script as we know mm. it but no one's ever been able to decipher it and um i'd, I'd uh, love this idea that someone just was just so messing you about befuddle future archaeology yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah what about you uh see i think i'd have a very solvable riddle in my grave what yeah. go to lawrence's grave yeah, pretty much yeah <laughs> yeah the great the great treasure the great reward at the end of this long but solvable riddle is your mystery codex yeah. well, it leads to nothing that's amazing <laughs> they'll find your rich grave which will be slightly yeah. different end up with cracking the code come to my grave like oh my god he's got even more rings oh, like yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. but what does this mean <laughs> Oh, onto it. I'm on it. Okay, it. that's good. 
<laughs> the other thing that's brought to my mind is um, who or what um, we will see in 100,000 years' time. Mm. So, Sarah touched on it. She's like, <laughs> will it be a barren wasteland? But who who's prevailing in 100,000 years' time? Mm. Is it humans or is it the uh, um, genetically modified cockroaches? Fish people. Fish people. <laughs> <laughs> on that note. <laughs> oh, that was good, though. I enjoyed chatting to Sarah. Yeah. And it, it, again, just really nice to kind of share her career. And we're very grateful she took the time to talk to us after the conference. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we took up a good half an hour of her. Uh, AR. Yes. <laughs> the AR experience was pretty good afterwards. She's pretty handy with a, uh, a laser gun. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, now you'll notice um, those regular viewers, viewers, listeners, that we haven't touched on Monutrumps yet this week. No. We're still hoping. We don't really want to make these up ourselves. Um, we want you guys to send in your sites, your monuments, your places that need some attention that are kind of lost to uh, lost to the landscape. So we don't want places like Stonehenge or Maiden Castle. We want sites in your backyard, close to you, that um, you think need a bit of attention and we can talk about and chat yeah, about. Yeah, in, that's in... it. It's about accessibility. It's about importance and raising their profile, but also maybe potentially underappreciated or underfunded sites as well. Yeah, things that things that need a bit of attention and we can we can share with our many, many, many few our, our listener sorry what, what podcast are you talking about <laughs> the c word <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um as ever follow us on twitter and facebook and instagram and if you just subscribe to the past podcast then you can get every episode as soon as it becomes available don't be afraid if you're feeling generous to give us five stars we would appreciate it very much that's it so um have a great week everyone and we'll catch up with you soon see you soon